What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans, and it is Titans Week. Yes, Tennessee on Sunday, and a reminder, 3.05 local time kick for the third year in a row. <laughs> it's Wait, third year in a row? Fourth year in a row. I think it's the fourth year in a row. I think 19 was also that, too. 19, 20, 21, and 22 all have taken place in the afternoon for whatever reason. 2019, they didn't need to. I guess the Titans were trying to get into playoffs. They had to move that game. 2020 got moved, I think, for the same reason. 2021, they moved it because the Titans were up for their number one seed. And this game has just been scheduled at 3.05 for whatever reason. But it's 3.05 on Sunday. So getting your seats gives you a little extra time like three hours worth to tailgate a little bit more, but get in your seats and cheer on the Texans. They take on the hated Titans four and two. And this shows you a little bit of how weird the season has been. I was looking back at the standings and one of the things in the uh, standings is they show point differential points for points against the Titans are minus 13 point differential on the year. Minus 13. They're four and two. The Texans are minus 31. They're one, four, and one. Heck, the Jaguars are the only team in the division that are, that are positive point differential over their opponents. They're two and five. It's a really weird division, which is good and bad depending on, well, where you sit on, oh, well, we win the division or not. I don't know. Either way, Texans got to take on the Titans, four and two Titans team atop the AFC South, they have two wins against the Colts. And this will be the first time the Titans are taking on either the Jags or the Texans. And that will take place on Sunday at 3.05 at NRG Stadium on Halloween Eve. Yes, October 30th. All right. On the show this evening, we are going to have Mark Vandermeer is going to stop by. Uh, we'll have him. We'll also have Jordan Akins for a deep slant interview of the week. We are also going to have... One of our favorites, Mike Keith, the voice of the Tennessee Titans. We'll have a little bit of in the lab, but you know, every Wednesday, how it goes. We kick it off with the general manager of your favorite football team, Houston Texans general manager, Nick Casario, sat down, Mark and myself, and we talked about progress for the offense, defense needs to step it up, and then, of course, you know, we had to dive in to Nick's scouting report on the Tennessee Titans. Here we go. Joining us now in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, Texans General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, great to see you. Fellas, good to be here. All right. Coming off the Raider game and a game in which you kind of exploded offensively in certain areas, obviously fourth quarter problems, but what did you make of what you saw on the road coming back from the bye? Yeah, made some progress in some areas, played decent for three quarters. Um, in the end, kind of came down to, I mean, the th turnover was a part of it, but it really wasn't. I think it was, there were some other things that happened in addition to that, but anytime they score on defense. So offensively, we were able to move the ball. I think the big thing, the difference in the game ended up being the red area. So we were one of three, they were three of three in a red area and in a running game, you know, it was, they ran a ball well, we ran a ball well. So in the end, it's a red area and the turnover, um, you know, probably could have done a little better job in a return game, you know, as well. So, 
um, you know, Raiders are a good team. Uh, we knew it would be a big challenge going in. Did some things offensively, you know, in, in some areas where he made some progress. So we just we just got to pull a full, full game together as a full team in order to kind of get over the hump here on a consistent basis. Nick, I remember in the summer or the offseason when Chandler Jones went out to the Raiders, thought, man, they got Crosby and they got Jones. Ooh, boy, that's going to be a struggle. Then you look up. Not a bad day, really, we're not allowing those two guys to wreck the game. And I know it's not always Laramie and Titus, but there were a lot of one-on-one opportunities. What do you think of the way they contained those two guys in particular? Yeah, pass protection for the most part was was really good, and Titus and LT were a big part of that. But it's all five guys, communication. So you're really going into the game. You have to figure out, okay, who are the players that are going to give you problems? Who are the players you got to make sure you take care of this ensure some degree of success offensively? So – in a Raider game, it was kind of Chandler and, and Max, and you know those are two of the better edge players in the league. I'd say Tennessee presents maybe similar issues, but a little bit different in terms of where they're deployed, um, and Autry and Simmons. So each game is going to present its own challenges, so everybody's got good players in the front. I would say Tennessee a little bit more inside, and then Ted outside too with Dupree, and then Weaver, who we'll talk about their team here in a little bit. But overall, pass protection as a, as a group was, was probably one of our better efforts you know, for, for the year. Nick, offensively, had several plays where guys saw something that wasn't there and created something out of nothing, maybe. Davis with a couple of those shovel-type passes. The touchdown pass to Chris Moore, they said they sort of adjusted things. Another one to Dorsett, where Dorsett came back when he saw that Davis was scrambling out. He said he actually saw that on the video board. So the ability to improvise on the fly, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, offensively, plays are designed to be run a certain way. Everybody has an assignment, and the play is constructed in a way where you think it's going to go based on how the defense plays. So there's going to be situations where something breaks down, and you kind of have to ad-lib to some degree. You don't really know when that's going to happen or how it's going to happen. But whenever you do that, you just have to make sure you make a sound decision with the football or making the right decision. And everybody's kind of doing the same thing. One guy's not doing one thing and the other player thinks he's doing something else. So as long as you collectively have an understanding of what the other player is going to do and you're able to execute the play kind of off schedule, those plays are going to happen during the course of the game. Mark mentioned Phil Dorsett. He has touchdown catch. He has the big catch on the sideline. Nick, you've seen him really grow as a professional with his days back in New England and what he's doing now. What have you seen from him over the years? We had a chance to talk to him. I thought he was very introspective about what he's done in the NFL, where he is in his career. What have you seen from him from the time you saw him in New England to where he is now? Yeah, Phil's been through a lot throughout the course of his career. He was a highly drafted player in Indianapolis, took him in the first round, and he ended up trading for him in New England, kind of played a little bit more of a backup role. I think the one thing that stands out is just his overall consistency and his attitude. He's very consistent day-to-day. He never gets too high, never gets too low. He has a good skill level. He runs well. He's very smart. I think the one thing about him, he has a lot of position versatility in terms of being able to line up in multiple spots. So one play is the X, one play could be the F, the other play could be the Z. So not all receivers can handle those types of responsibilities. And when he's had the opportunity to play, he's taken advantage of those opportunities, whether it was the long pass last year against the Chargers, whether it was just the two catches this week against the Raiders, you know, one on a scramble play that we just talked about, and then the touchdown play. So I think Phil's a professional, does a lot of things well. He's a really good teammate. Um, I think he's well-respected in the building, players and coaches, and he's kind of the consummate pro. And there's a reason that he's been in the league for however many years it's been now. Obviously, the physical skill goes a certain way, but we've talked about it in here as well. There's so much more than being a football player than just how big you are, how fast you are. There's a lot of other things that go into that equation. Nick, overall through six games, week seven, offensively, I know you always want to do better, but can you rate the progress for us? It seems like it's getting better week to week, maybe not as good as you want it to be, but where are we at? 
Yeah, uh, let's say the run game has shown definitely some promise, and whether that's, you know, DP, even Dare getting opportunities to Rex, and then Troy Harrison's been a big part of that, and the tight ends are a part of the running game as well. So if you can kind of grind out, you know, four, five, four, four and change a carry, that puts you in second and whatever or third and whatever. So making some progress as a running game, you know, been able to create maybe a few more explosive plays. Anytime you can create some explosive plays, shortens the field or just terms of the number of plays that you have to run. So, and for the most part, for the most part, we've been able to take care of the football. I think we were in a top 10 in terms of turnover margin, which is a combination of us not giving them the ball away and us taking it away on defense. I'm sure we'd like to take the ball away a little bit more on defense. So, in some of those areas, and then I'd say third down in the red area, ultimately those are the plays that are going to win or lose your games. It was we looked at Tennessee here a little bit. When you look at some of the things they do situationally, their first and third down defense and their first and red area offense, and they take the ball away. So when you start to put those things together. So mm-hmm. I think our situational execution is probably the one area if we can kind of make some incremental progress and improvements and it maintains some level of productivity on first down, then you know hopefully we can see more progress offensively. Nick, defensively, the run, look, the other guys get paid as well. They get, they're get they on scholarship as well on the other side, and we saw one of the best backs in the league last week in Josh Jacobs, and there were a number of yards that he created on his own, breaking out of tackles, spinning out of tackles, things like that. But overall, the run defense and the improvement, it's not going to get any easier with facing Derrick Henry this week. What do you think is key to getting that improvement up to a level that's going to be satisfactory to stop guys like Jacobs and Henry? Sure, yeah, nobody's going to sugarcoat it. Like, we haven't been good enough in a run def- in a running game and the run mm-hmm. defense, so until we get some of those things fixed, it's, you know, we're going to have you know, some struggles defensively. Um, I'd say it comes down to a couple things. It comes down to assignment football, and it comes down to tackling. So we've, as a, as a team, we probably haven't tackled as well as we need to, so... Being able to limit the yards after contact is important. Say we talked, you just mentioned John, like Henry's as good of a back after contact as in the league. So being able to finish on the ball, get multiple hats to the ball, and just being play, being able to play sound technique on the inside part of the defense. So there's not a lot of space. So there's not a gap for the runners to go through. So we got to get those things cleaned up. I think the players are accountable to that. We're all accountable to it. And like we got to get it fixed. I mean, right now we're hit the bottom of the league. So there's nowhere to go it up. So hopefully we can make some improvements, um, some of its schemes, some of its individual players. So it's a combination of everything. It's not one particular thing. But in terms of playing sound assignment football and then tackling, those things would probably help overall in the big picture. Nick, with your rookies, particularly on defense, you're not getting the results you want as a whole, as a team right now because of the record. But you see some progress, some improvement. How do you rate that when you're not getting the victories but you see individuals do their thing. You just got Christian Harris in the fold for the first time. What about that part of it? Yeah, it's a fair question, Mark. I think they're still learning, though, even though they've played a lot of football four or five games. Then Christian, that was his first game. I'd say Christian looked like a player who hadn't played football in a while. <laughs> so missed a handful of tackles, even though he had some positive plays. So really what you want to see is just each game or each week just continue to grow and improve establish your routine, understand what do you need to do to get fixed? What are some of the areas I'm struggling with? Okay, what are some of the ways that I can get that fixed? Taking ownership of that. So individually, there's been some players that have done some decent things. I think the big thing, it's a team sport. So it's not about one person. It's about all 11 on each side of the ball 
doing their job in an effective manner. So the young players have kind of embraced the opportunity and taken advantage of the opportunities when they've been presented to them. And really, you want to see that arc continue. What you don't want to see is, well, we're kind of getting to a point where, okay, <laughs> we're midway through the year, and they haven't played this much football probably in a long time. So being able to have enough mental and physical toughness to withstand some of the challenges in front of them, that'll probably be the biggest challenge or adjustment that the young players are going to have to go through, especially the players that have played a significant amount of snaps. We talked about the Raiders a little bit, and we asked about the defense line, how different it is. But let's just talk about the Titans now. You mentioned the defense line, Jeffrey Simmons, Danico Autry, I mean, two of the best not only in the AFC but in the NFL and how, they, how well they play together. What have you seen from the Titans? We know the Titans, but this is a different – every year is a different year maybe doing things a little differently this year than what they've done in the past. What are you seeing from the Titans, Nick? Yeah, they've they had to play, have had to play a lot of players on both sides of the ball. And really they're kind of a, we don't really care who we have. We're just going to line up and play football. And they're a disciplined team. They're a tough team. They have good run defense. I mean, they're top five in the league in run defense. They're good on third down. So good run defense, good on third down, and some good individual players really at all three levels of the defense. Everybody talks about Simmons, which they should. Everybody probably needs to talk more about Autry, which they should. I think they combined between the two of them like 125 total quarterback pressures last year. So 66, 65, whatever it was between the two of them. So you have to account for them on every play. Autry's a really good pass rusher, has some front flexibility inside, outside. And Simmons, doesn't really matter where you line him up. He's a damn good football player. So you have to make sure you account for him in every play. And they're getting some production from Dupree. And then the guy that's really kind of come onto the scene this year, didn't play last year, is Weaver. Yeah. Okay, they drafted in the fourth round or whatever it was uh, a year ago. So mm-hmm. he's given them some good edge presence. They lost Landry in training camp, but Weaver's been kind of being able to step in. Um, and then David Long's played as good of, of football as any linebacker probably in the league that nobody really talks about. And when Zach's been on the field, Zach's been a productive tackler, you know, which that's what Zach has been since he's been in the league. So good front, good linebacker. Then Byard's a very instinctive, very aware player with really good ball skills. And they've had a lot of guys on the perimeter of defense at corner. They've been forced to play because of injuries. So McCrary's pretty much played every snap. The kid they took in the second round from Auburn, who's a good football player. T. Mitch, you know, who he was on practice squads on and off rosters. Now he's had to play for them a little bit, so had some experience. So they've probably had more change on the perimeter defense, but the core of their defense and a guy that's actually improved, I would say, from last year to this year is Tart as a zero or one technique. So good number of front players, good linebackers, good secondary. I mean, there's a reason when you're first in third down defense and you're in a top five and run defense, it means you have a lot of good players and you have a good scheme to go along with it. I was always surprised that you guys never got Autry in New England. For all those years, I was like, that's the perfect kind of player that with the inside-outside versatility. And what he could do. I always thought he was going to end up with the Patriots, and he ends up in our division with the Colts and then the Titans. I'm like, God dang it. Of course. I think yeah. we've talked about him at different points when, when I was in New England. <laughs> <laughs> all right. At least I was on to something. Nick, Derek Henry, is this a good example for other players as someone who it didn't happen right away for him? Rookie season, no 100-yard games. I I know they had DeMarco Murray who was playing well, but he's Derrick Henry. And then he turns into Derrick Henry over two, three seasons. Is that a good example to follow for some young players maybe? Yeah. I mean, really skilled, productive player, even coming out of Alabama. I mean, he was as good a back as there was in the country, Doak Walker or whatever it was. I mean, mm-hmm. and then early on in his career, maybe didn't go the way that he'd hoped, but he kind of stuck to it. And they have a good offensive scheme and they kind of accentuate some of the things that, that he does well. So the big thing with him is when he gets going downhill, going north and south, he's hard to tackle. And then he's strong, but then he's also fast. So once he gets into the second level. So I think it's a good example of you really don't know how long it's going to take or when it's going to happen. You just have to have a certain level of stick and just trust what you're doing, trust your coaching, trust what they're asking you to do. 
And then when you're getting that situation, go out there and produce with your chances, which Derek has done at a really high level here for a number of years now. Nick, when you talk about stopping the run, sometimes you're facing completely different run philosophies, and you'll face three of them seemingly. The Raiders had one philosophy, used a lot of, a lot of 21 personnel, Jakob Johnson in there, a lot of fullback. The tide of the Titans attack versus we know how the Eagles are going to attack with a lot of RPOs, and a lot of zone reads and things like that. So you're facing almost three different ones. But how does Tennessee compare philosophically with what the Raiders want to do or yeah, what the Raiders did? Yeah, I think anytime you play somebody, you just have to understand how they're attacking the defense. So is it more of an inside running team? Is it more of a C-gap to the perimeter running team? Do they use a fullback? Do not use a fullback? 21 runs are different than 11 runs. I would say in Tennessee's case, they kind of use a little bit of both. I mean, they use, I mean, they're 11 personnel, 55, 60% of the time. So probably a little bit more 11. They have some 12 personnel, a multi tight end package, and they have, you know, Carter, the fullback, who, when they want to use some 21 runs, they insert him. And so you have to understand the overall composition of the run game, how the, it's really spots to certain personnel groups are going to run certain things. So just understanding like, what group they're in, how do they want to attack the defense? You know, they want to get the back on a track and they want to get them on course and they want to try to get them started. So you want to make sure that you, know, you kind of have the edge of the defense secured. But by the same token, you have to make sure the inside part of the defense is not enough space because the way the, the run game is designed, if there's a little bit of space, it's really stick your foot in the ground and get vertical. So you just have to make sure that you have players um, accounted for kind of in each gap. So each week, each team presents its own different challenges in the run game. I'd say certainly the Titans do as well. And then Tannehill's good in play action. You may move the pocket a little bit. And then, you know, they've had some turnover, some change on the perimeter too. Burke, you know, uh, was in there. He's out. So, But Woods has kind of come on here. Woods is probably their best player. Um, at receiver, they signed Conley, you know, off of the Kansas City practice squad. So they've kind of, hey, whoever they have, are going to put them out there. Um, and then the third receiver, um, hyphen last name West, guy, West yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> he's a good football player. Yeah. So now here's an example, yeah. kind of what we talked about, undrafted player, yep. kind of found a way to stick around, has good size, he's instinctive, he's got really good hands, he's got good toughness. His role kind of grew last year, so he's become one of their more dependable players offensively. So. They have a good uh, composition of skill players. You really have to have an understanding of who's on the field, how do they use that player, and you know, be able to defend it accordingly. I saw that Tom Brady series. What's it called? Man in the, Man arena. In the arena. So they talked about the Patriots when Vrabel was playing and Brewski and all those guys together, and, and you were in that group. Well, not that group, but you were part of the organization. But they talked about how they eventually coached each other. They coached each other up and held each other accountable for things, and they would push each other. What about that part of it? And with Vrabel specifically, now head coach of the Titans, could you see it back then that he would want to be a head coach? <laughs> yeah, um, Mike, Mike was one of the smartest football players that we had on a team and had in the building for a long period of time. So, And Mike took a lot of pride in what he did. I mean, I've got a lot of respect personally and professionally for, for Mike, You know what he, he did as a player and what he's done as a coach. Um, I don't think anybody's surprised. Mike is one of the most intellectually um, astute players and people that there are. I mean, he's very smart. He's instinctive. The fact that he played offensively a little bit, you know, tight end, played outside linebacker, and then there was a year we had to play him at inside linebacker when he never played inside linebacker. But he has an overall, I'd say, awareness and understanding. And I think the level of, of mental and physical toughness of Mike and then that transcended kind of the rest of the group. Because in the end, and we've talked about this as well, when you're on the field, it's about the people next to you and holding each other accountable. There's only so much a coach can do at that point. So the standard was a certain level. They held each other accountable to that standard. 
And Mike pushed the envelope. I mean, he, you know, gave Brady a hard time. And he'd go back there as a scout team free safety in practice. And he'd be, he'd be on a look team and trying to give a look at the opposing defense just to kind of harass Brady a little bit. But it was all in the vein of trying to make him sure. better, trying to challenge him. And that was Mike's mentality. That was his mindset. Rodney Harrison was that way. Tom was that way. Uh, Brewski was that way. I mean, you go on down the line. So I don't think anybody is surprised at the success that Mike has had. Um, he's earned it. Um, he's worked very hard to get to this point. They have a really good program, um, and I think between him and John, they've been able to cultivate something you know pretty special there. And the the results kind of speak for themselves. So, did he politic to get on offense, or did you guys see something <laughs> in him to put him on offense? Uh, I was just a low level assistant, so I don't remember exactly <laughs> what those. But I think he. It's funny, actually. So he would go out and warm up before the game. Um, you know, players go out, they have their routine. Yep, yep. So Mike would go out and he'd catch passes. I would actually throw passes to Mike, and he'd always joke, you know, I'm as, my hands are as good as Heinz Ward, you know, kind of <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. But I think he really believed that. And then when you're trying to – however many players you have at the game, who can we use, whether it's situationally, whether it's in goal line. So the more things a player can do, it just enhances overall value to the team. So Mike had really good hands. I don't think anybody's yeah. going to question his hands. So the fact that he has 10 receptions and 10 touchdowns is like – he would tell you, like, he's not surprised. Maybe some <laughs> others would. But he had you know supreme confidence in what he was doing and overall understanding um, of, of what he needed to, to do in those roles. Nick, a day after you play the Titans is Halloween, a holiday I'm sure Ooh. you're super pumped for. And uh, I'm going to ruin every kid's dream out there. <laughs> My least favorite holiday. My kids love Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> Their father absolutely despises Halloween. So I, I can't remember the last time I put a costume on. So. so you don't tax their candy bags when they come back? <laughs> no, I don't. They When they bring the candy home, I say, all right, grab a few things because you're not keeping all this. And then we'll distribute it to somebody that needs it more than they you do. You are forced to eat one Halloween candy. What's oh, it going to be? no. Like Reese's, Snickers, a Hershey bar. I mean, what oh would it be, gosh. Nick? You oh, have God. to eat it. I you have, have to. to have it. I mean, I'll you have, can't say like a Cliff Bar or anything like that. No, either. I guess I would say I'll have one piece of a candy corn. Of a can or whatever that little corn. orange, yellow, whatever <laughs> that is. Corn. Break the internet. Is that what it's candy called, corn right? is the yeah. most controversial candy out there. You either love it or you hate it. So so. I, I, I'll take a bite of one All of those, right. maybe. Okay. Thanks a lot, Dick. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Okay, there's no way that I had any thought that candy corn was going to be on that list. None. But I was glad. I'm a candy corn guy. I know candy corn is polarizing. Very polarizing. I'm a candy corn guy. I don't care whether you are or not. I love candy corn. Love it. Going to see how much I can consume as we get closer to Halloween. Now, coming up next, it's our Deep Slant Interview of the Week. DP Sinu sits down with Jordan Akins right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. My good friend, DP Sinu, had a chance to catch up with Jordan Akins for her Deep Slant Interview of the Week. Let's go. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest this week, Jordan Akins, tight end. And Jordan, I, I mean, the World Series is upon us, so I got to ask you if you've been watching the Astros since you got back. Um, I have been watching some games. Okay. Yeah, for sure. All right, we know that you played a little bit of baseball yourself. Right. I looked up how many you played in 321 minor league games. I did. I really okay, did. so you've hit some home runs yes, back in the day. You've caught some touchdowns. Right. Which one is harder? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I've never been asked that. I would say uh, hitting. Hitting a home run is harder than catching yes. a touchdown? Why is yes, that? Yes, for sure. Because, I mean, catching a touchdown, you kind of can control, you know. Where, um, you kind of know where the ball is going to be. You can, you know, expect, like, what kind of coverage it is and all that. You can gather information before you actually make the play. And baseball is just a split second. Like, you don't know if it's a fastball or anything. So you just got to be ready. Just timing and everything. So 
Baseball is definitely harder. It's mental. Okay, so what's the better celebration? Would you rather get a home run or would you rather catch a touchdown? Better celebration, touchdowns for sure. Touchdowns, the better celebration. Touchdown. Okay. Yes. I hopefully we see more of them. We saw you in your first game back, you got a touchdown. We were talking about you and traveling, because obviously you travel a lot with NFL teams, but I imagine traveling in the minor leagues is it's a, it's different it's a different experience. A little yeah. bit rougher. Yeah, it, right? was, it was horrible. The traveling uh, the traveling in minor leagues was horrible. Okay. You guys go by bus, I would assume. Yeah, right? we go by bus. Sometimes we'll take fourteen hour trips. Trips would be so long that you wouldn't even have time to stretch. You would just get off the bus and, you know, just After have to, 14 straight hours? Yeah, after 14 straight hours, sometimes we just have to get out and go. It depends on if you have double headers or not, you know? Yeah, it, it, it was not it, man. I mean, <laughs> NFL, you just, you know, get on the get plane, on the plane. travel by two, three hours, you know, and, you know, you settle in by the day so you get some rest. But on that bus, man, anything goes on that, on that yeah. bus. Yeah. How, what was the longest trip you ever took? Uh, say about 14, 14, the 16 14 hours, one? yeah. Where was that too? That was from North Carolina to Lakeland, New Jersey. Oh, wow. Or Lakewood. I want to say Lakewood. You've uh, traveled the country then by bus. Oh, yeah. See, it sounds like. Yeah. All right, so we see you back here in Houston. I remember I saw you in the hallway, like, right after you signed. It feels like you've been gone a long time, and yet you really haven't. What was it like to sort of rejoin this team in Houston? Things had changed. Coaching staff had changed a bit. Right. Uh, but what was it like to sort of rejoin uh, the Texans again this year for you? Um, I mean, it was great, you know, to see familiar faces and people that's been around. I've been around the past years and, you know, who's coached me and also my brothers who I've been going to war with for the previous years. So, you know, um, it was an honor to come back and, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, continue to contribute to the team any kind of way, you know, I can offensively, special teams, any way I can, man. Um, like I say, I'm, I'm glad to be back and, you know. I'm ready to play some ball. You started off on the practice squad. You worked your way back up to the active roster. Was that a different experience for you? Because we saw you get drafted and, you know, you were on the active roster all along. But to come back and have to sort of work your way up, what, what was that experience like for you? Um, it was definitely humbling. You know, it challenged me mentally as well as physically. Um, used to just being a workhorse, you know, uh, special teams, offense, uh, two minutes, just going all the time to going and trying to make a team, not really getting a lot of opportunities and you know, so it was, um, you know, it was a test for me, definitely a big test for me. But, you know, I overcame it and, you know, I ended back up in Houston. Thank well, God. We saw you get activated a few times and I think a lot of us were wondering, OK, so when is he going to make the active roster? Because right. it seemed like you just sort of came in and picked up where you left off. But I was talking to O.J. Howard and he said that you were one of the guys that he sort of leaned on when he got here because you guys were both trying to learn this offense. Definitely. And I didn't really even think about it like that. But was it a a big adjustment for you to come back and pick up this playbook? It definitely was a challenge. I mean, you come in, well, you first I left and went to New York, the Giants, and their playbook is extremely difficult. So, you know, I kind of programmed my brain to that. And then leaving there and coming here, you know, it's a totally new offense, you know. Um, it's not the same as when I first was here. So uh, it was a challenge, but, you know, I love challenges. And, you know, like, like, like O said, I mean, we kind of lean on each other, you know. Like when we be out there on the field, especially when we first got here, like we was, you know, talking basically, you know, you know what you got, you know what you got, you know what I'm saying. We look at Mills, Mills look at us, like okay, <laughs> I see they kind of lost, you know. But um, now you know we got things rolling and we're feeling good, we're very comfortable, and now we're playing fast. Yeah, what's the toughest part of making that adjustment? Because I would think you're a tight end. How different can a tight end role be? leaving Houston and coming back. And then you've, you've played with Mills before as well. So right. what do you think was the biggest part of the adjustment process for you? Uh, the adjustment process, it was just grasping that playbook. Is I it terminology? It's, it's, it's terminology. Hands down, it's terminology. All offenses in the NFL is basically 
kind of simple, you know, um, not simple, but kind of similar. Sure. But it's the terminology, like you said. So um, it was just a lot of studying, you know, I have two kids. So going home, you know, daddy, <laughs> daddy had to like, you know, kind of getting that playbook. Yeah, and I had focus to, on the, yeah. They didn't really like that. But, you know, um, had to do what I had to do. And now I'm starting to catch up. So, you know, and play fast. How old are the kids? Um, two and five. Oh, okay. Just yeah. turned two. So they probably five. want a little bit of your attention when you oh, go home. All the time. Yeah. I think it's time to play. I was talking to Brevin Jordan. He said after the season that you and him, you guys had gone to Tulum, and, and now you come back. He's in his second season. What what have you seen from him? Because he was a rookie when you were here last year. But I know he's dealt with some injuries this year, but what about his growth? What have you seen from him in the tight end room? Outstanding growth, man. Just understanding um, schemes, coverage. And putting his skill on the field, I mean, uh, last year, Brad was a lot of, like, you know, I felt like he was a little hesitant just because he didn't want to mess up, you know. Now he's full speed, and if he messes up, he learns from it. He doesn't make the same mistakes, which is being a pro. And um, he's going to be special, man. He's a special kid, and he has a bright future. How about Davis Mills? Mills, man, that's my guy. Um, Mills, man, so nonchalant, so chill, laid back. He's really know? calm all the time. He is, man. He's really, he's pretty funny, too, you know. Is he? Yeah, Mills is pretty funny. He's cracking know? jokes uh, um, with you guys? Or what sort of sense of humor does Davis Mills have? No, he have his way of cracking jokes. You know, Mills just walk by and give you a certain look. I'll bust out <laughs> laughing or I'll mess with him, you know, the way he talk and stuff like that. But, you know, we have a, we have a good chemistry. How cool was it for you to be able to come back here? It's, it seems like a more tight end friendly offense. I know you said you were just honored to be able to come back and be a part of it, but to be able to come back and sort of pick up, it kind of seems like where you left off. You know, how cool is that this whole experience been for you? And what do you hope to build on here moving forward? Um, After going through what I went through, you know, um, mentally and physically, you know, the challenges and coming back, I felt great. I definitely wanted more opportunity, which testing gave me more opportunity just to prove my talent and just to show that, I, you know, I still can play, I still can make plays, and I have so much more to give than what I have. So, like I said, it's an honor to always come back and put on this blue and white, and I'm always honored to just, you know, make plays for this team. All right, I've asked about everyone else being different from last year to this year, but i got to ask, how are you different from last year to this year? Just I'm playing with revenge, man. That's what I always said. Um, I've never really been cut, so, you know, after being cut. Yeah, you spent your whole career here. Yeah, it's yeah. like open my eyes and – you know, it just it just showed me, like, basically, I took it as, like, God could give you everything. He could take it away that fast. So I humbled myself, and, you know, I just played with a chip on my shoulder. So every time I touch the ball, I feel like, you know, nothing can stop me. I'm running through anything, or and the ball's in the air. I'm coming down with it. So I, I say it just built my confidence, honestly, in a way. All right. Love to see it. We'll hope to see many more touchdowns from you for the rest of the year, Jordan. Thanks I so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. What a story Jordan Akins has been in 2022. All right, we get back. In the lab gets a little weird next right here on Texans All Access. Yes, sir. Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. It's John Harris, your host, football analyst, sideline reporter. And it's time to get a little weird on In the Lab with Drew Doherty. But he's got a very important question to start this off. How do you beat these guys? Because, hey, you were in this position the first time you played them last year. Yep. You went into Tennessee, and you got a victory. How does that happen this Sunday? Well, I think first and foremost, I'm going to repeat myself from last week. Okay. Just take out Josh Jacobs' name mm-hmm. and put in Derrick Henry. That's all you have to do. Stop him. Now, sounds easy, right? Right. I mean, hey, just stop Josh Jacobs. Just stop Derrick Henry. Not that easy with uh, with this run defense playing the way that it has. Losing Malik Collins was was uh, a massive blow. Uh, not having John Grenard out on the edge, 
it allowed the Raiders to do some things in the run game that that shouldn't shouldn't have happened. And it wasn't as if you know when I watched the take the 49ers, for instance, they do some pretty unique things running the ball. The Eagles have, and we'll see the Eagles here in a little bit, but the Eagles have a lot of zone read type things built in. They run some split zone. The Raiders ran pin and pull toss. They ran isolation, uh, and they ran a little bit of counter. Those are plays you learn uh, back in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, 34, 35 counter. I mean, we ran out of the affirmation. Uh, pin and pull toss. I mean, we, we, we called it scat right, scat left. Um, which is actually a nomenclature for West Coast pass protection, but that's what we call it: toss right, toss left. They just, you know, add in some pin and pull concepts because it makes the angles on blocking easier. The Texans didn't get off blocks. Um, they were not as violent as they needed to be against the run. So now here comes twenty-two, and in the last four games that he has seen the the, the Texans, he didn't play them in twenty twenty-one, so he saw him twice in twenty twenty and just blew him up. He had over 20% of his yardage, which yes. was over 2,000 yards in yep. 2020, against the Texans. So two games. think about that math right there. 20% plus yep. of 2,000 yards Yep, in, in just in two games. two games. And then in 2019, he had a little bit of a hamstring in the first time we faced him and held him under 100. But in 2019, when he's facing the you know JV squad, if you will, because it was week 17, it was week Texans 17, had Texans the division, clinched, couldn't go up or down. It was an AJ McCarron joint, and the Texans hung in there. McCarron had them in the game a little bit. I think it was 21 17 at one point. But Henry went off. He had a 50 yard run, touchdown run that clinched the rushing title, it clinched clinched the playoff spot for them. So the last three times he's seen the Texans, he's done basically what he's wanted to. And after you watch Josh Jacobs, and you think, okay, now it's Derrick Henry. Oh. He, the Titans will do it a little differently. Probably going to be a little bit more duo uh, where Henry can can read things on his own. It might be a little bit more zone with split zone. There might be some different ways that the Titans are going to attack in the run game than the Raiders did, but the Texans right now are really struggling with all facets of it. I mean, Khalil Herbert, I will say on Monday Night Football, Drew, watching the Patriots struggle with Khalil Herbert, I'm like, hey, all right, maybe the Bears are a little bit better running the ball than we thought. I thought they were good, but man, maybe they're beyond good. Maybe it's really, really good. So they face some good running backs, too. I mean, look, Javante Williams, Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Herbert stepping in for David Montgomery. You face, um, you know, you didn't give up a lot of rushing yards to Austin Eckler. You gave up the receiving yards, which was a killer. Um, Then you faced uh, the Twins down, which I guess they're solo now. But you had James Robinson and Travis Etienne. And then you face, coming out of the bye, you face Josh Jacobs. You face some of the better running backs in the league. But there's no excuse. I could see if he just broke tackles all day, yeah. if you had guys in position. But you didn't really have guys in position all day. So stop Derrick Henry, please. I don't care what you got to do. Trip him. Snatch him. I, I don't know. Make googly eye faces at him. I don't know. Wear a Halloween costume. Uh-huh. Lasso him. Rope. I don't care. Are you going to wear a Halloween costume? No. Not at all? Mm-mm. Okay. No. You? Yep. I mean, you have kids, so. I'm going to be Maverick. My wife is going to be Penny Benjamin. Nice. And the kids are going to be all the different, <laughs> all the different uh, From Top Gun young, young, flight, young, young F-18 pilots. So there you go. Yeah. Um, hey, off topic. Okay. How about that entertainment at Allegiant Stadium oh. on Sunday? Now, to give you an idea of things, they light that 
Eternal Flame in yeah. the end zone with Apollo Creed. Yes. The original Apollo Creed. Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Yeah. That was cool. I like that. Yeah, because he's a former Raider. That was mm-hmm. awesome. I still haven't told my son about that. I forgot about that. When his when they showed his face up on the screen, I was standing next to Anthony Simmons, who used to play linebacker. He's from uh, North Carolina. And he was the uniform czar. You know, okay. Every every game, there's a guy that you know, had, records like uniform violations and all that and so he's that guy, and usually it's a former player. And so I was standing next to him, and I had my headphones on. So I'm listening to Mark and Andre, and I look up, and I see Carl Weathers' picture, and I just went, oh! And so I must have done it loud enough that he turned around. He's like, what? And I pointed. I was like, Creed. <laughs> and he went, what? And I was like, Apollo Creed. And then they started showing Apollo Creed you know, like snapshots from, from Rocky. He turned and looked at me and went, oh, that's Paul Chris. I was like, yeah, that's what I just told you. So, yeah, that was cool. And then JoJo sings a national yeah. anthem. Now, some of you out, out there are going, huh, who? But up in the press box, it's an open-air press box, so there's no glass. You know, if, 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 it's, if it's closed air, meaning there's glass up, it's like you're in a library during yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah. And you can kind of hear the rumble of the crowd. But this was an open-air crowd, so it was loud. It was, it was a loud, loud yeah. press box. Very. But JoJo, who had a hit like around 02, 03, 04 with something like, get out, leave right now. It sounded like a cat, like like in between <laughs> with some other. But it was a big hit back then. Yeah. And it kind of stuck with you. But she sang the national anthem. And she sang it very well. It was a beautiful rendition. Yeah. She sang the national anthem. And then uh, Lil John was there. They interviewed yeah. him at a timeout. Yeah. He hit him with, he hit the crowd with a good yeah yeah. Yeah. So we love Lil John because he had the turn down for Watts song that, you know, kind of was adopted here right of course the glory days and then at the half iggy azalea just did like a three four song medley i was like whoa 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 whoa. is this really and it was it was iggy azalea doing her her thing so that was uh it was pretty pretty fun stuff on sunday yeah it was and then they've got that platform where like you said where the flame is yeah that's where it's basically just a performers i think the raider house band plays there during between breaks yeah and they had a woman by the name of rachel platten Okay. She did kind of the pregame. She did a couple of pregame songs mm-hmm. or songs in pregame. There was just there was music always going. Yeah. Um, it was it was really I didn't know what to expect. I really I really I didn't liked know it. what I to expect. Really, I left with a very favorable impression of that place. Yeah. I walked out of there. First of all, you don't I mean it's it's Raiders crowd, you know, how's it gonna be? I felt like that place was as loud as any crowd. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe louder. And it really didn't hit because for the first half, the Texans really kind of bobbed and wove its way through. And there was really not an opportunity for the Raiders fans to kind of get really jacked. When Mac Hollins caught that touchdown, yeah. I was like, whoa, yeah. wow, this place is this is loud. And then, of course, the touchdowns in the second half, that place went nuts. Mm-hmm. The pick six, holy smokes. Um, one of the interesting one of the interesting parts I thought of that game was it happened with Iggy Azalea. So at halftime, Tashawn Reed, who covers the Raiders for The Athletic. Oh, this is great. He tweets out the combination of Allegiant Stadium trying to make barbecue and Iggy Azalea performing at halftime is going to make me depressed. So Iggy Azalea sees this mm-hmm. and tweets if you think you're depressed now, I'll spare you the tears you'd cry knowing what my paycheck was to come and jiggle a little backside. But she used the she word did backside. That before she went out there? <laughs> no, she did it the next day. 
because she didn't see the tweet until then. Got it. Yeah, because I, so I saw that tweet. I missed I missed her halftime performance because I went in. I interviewed Lovey, then I went in, and I had to get all ready for the second half. And so I missed it. When I came back out, there were about three and a half, four minutes left. So I caught, like, the tail end of the performance, the pun intended. And I looked up, and I was like, whoa, she's right, you know, she's right there. But I, the scoreboard was right in front of me as I was walking. So I just kind of walked and looking at it, I was like, here's the other thing that stood out. A lot of the crowd was still in seat. Yeah. They really didn't go for halftime snacks or whatever. A lot of the crowd was still in seat, just didn't join a concert at halftime. I thought that was really cool because how many places do you go where the fans take off? They're at the – I mean, my famous Every story. Place. Every place. My famous story is my wife at halftime of the first game she came to, 2014, against Buffalo. What's the one thing you remember about 2014 against Buffalo? JJ. 80-yard interception, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it was. She was standing in line. Ugh. Because for halftime, she didn't know. She'd been to my games, my high school games. Those high school halftimes are like 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. Colleges are 20. It feels like an eternity. It's 12. It's 12. It's enough to get inside, go to the bathroom, maybe get a drink, say something, come back out, and you got to get ready for the second half. And so to see all of them in their seats, I, I thought was really impressive um, to see Iggy Azalea, too. So from a performance, everything. Stadium was very well laid out. SoFi is terribly laid out. I couldn't, I mean, SoFi, you couldn't figure out where you were going anywhere. Like, where's this? Where's that? And then, of course, the people there were of no help. The people, the, the security people, I think it was uh, SAFE Safe. I think that was their security crew. The best people I have dealt with. Well, it makes sense. Cause super cool. Vegas is super a nice. yes. customer service yes. entertainment uh, hub. They were fantastic. And I've, I've said that to a couple people, and they've said exactly what you said, yeah. that, that, if they weren't, it would be a, but super cool. Now, super nice. I saw this also um, about the barbecue. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't and know about the barbecue. About, there was barbecue in the press box. And ah. I think you need to have a level of expectation going in. Yeah. Now, when you go to a press box, are you going to eat the finest Southern barbecue right. of, or finest Kansas City bar, or the finest North Carolina? It's, it's a catering company that made right. it. So it's funny that he said that and he lumped a shot at Iggy Azalea. Yeah. <laughs> because I I got a plate of barbecue and went back to my uh, press box seat, and I did a little, since I'd never been to this stadium before, yeah. I did a little video, and I started kind of on my name card. Yeah, yeah. But you saw my plate of food very briefly, like less than a second, and I kind of pan up, and you see the view, the press box view. Yeah. Somebody responded to me on Twitter and said, is that an attempt at barbecue? <laughs> And so I responded back with like the you know laughing crying yeah, yeah, yeah. emoji. And I said, yeah. "Take it easy, man. It was fine." Which he responded back with, "Yeah, I bet it probably was. I, I'm sure I would have gotten seconds myself." <laughs> so like, listen, was the barbecue the best ever? No, it was fine. Yeah. It was good. I mean, I, I I just don't understand like the need to take shots. And I totally agree, Drew. Somebody trying to be funny, and well, they got clapped back on by Iggy Azalea. And I'm telling you, that was one heck of an environment out of Las Vegas, man. I mean, it was just, it was a show. They totally get it. Las Vegas is a show, and they're going to put on a show for the Raiders. Just absolutely uh, incredible stuff going forward. But got to go beat the Titans on Sunday, and the two men calling the game, well, they're going to meet up next. Mike Keith, our good friend for the Tennessee Titans, sits down with Mark Vandermeer next. Men behind the mics on Texans All Access. Let's go. We got one hour now, one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Glad to be with you. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter 
It's time for me to hand the ball off to my very abled partner who can run with it as he does in our Men Behind the Mic segment each and every week. And that is Mark Vandermeer. And the man on the other side is someone we've gotten to know very, very well, one of the best in the business, and got to be a really good friend. That's Mike Keith of the Tennessee Titans. Mark and Mike, men behind the mics. Wow, that actually has got some alliteration. Let's do it. Well, it's always wonderful to visit, and you and I catch up at the Combine, and whenever the Texans and Titans play, which is twice a year, haven't met in the playoffs yet. Would love to see that happen at some point. But tell me, what's the difference lately for the Titans, who got off to a bit of a rocky start, opening day loss against the Giants. I know things weren't exactly going according to plan, but now they are with the winning streak. What's happening, Mike? Well, it's been very interesting, Mark, from the standpoint that we left Buffalo um, taking quite a beating there and a physical beating as well with some injuries. And, you know, being in a situation at that moment in time that we had to come back and reevaluate where we were. And, you know, Mike Vrabel and the staff and John Robinson, the general manager, and, Everybody who, who runs this thing sat down and said, okay, here's who we are right now. Here's what we can do. Let's do these things and let's try to do them well. And so that's what the Titans have done in the last uh, four games is they have focused on playing mistake-free, winning the kicking game, using Derrick Henry more, trying to be better on defense, taking advantage of what matchups they might have in certain games utilizing personnel in very different ways. You know, some guys uh, on defense play one game and then don't play much the next game uh, because it's it's a matchup type thing that they're going with. So it's been mix and match overall, very basic football, and the Titans have found ways to win three close games, or I should say four close games in a row. And they're at four and two. I don't think anybody feels like they're, everything is solved because the injury thing continues to be a massive problem for this ball club. But at the same time, their feeling is we're going to be able to compete if we can make it our sort of game. And that's, that's what they've been trying to do over the last month. And for the most part, have done pretty well. Mike Keith with us, voice of the Tennessee Titans. Okay, Mike, we know that Tannehill left the stadium in a walking boot, and there was optimism about him earlier in the week. You and I are recording this early in the week, but tell me something about Malik Willis. If Malik Willis has to play, if he eventually does play, what are you seeing out of him in practice? And I know in training camp, preseason games, we saw some electric plays. So your thoughts on the rookie? What we saw in training camp was he wasn't ready. <laughs> that was the bottom line. <laughs> But what I liked about him, Mark, is he knew he wasn't ready. And so he has worked hard in the regular season running the show team in practice to, drive, to try to drive the first teamers crazy. And, you know, that's what a good practice player does when they're mm -hmm. not in the lineup. And, you know, that's how a lot of guys get into the lineup is they have the opportunity to practice against the first string. And if they can make some plays, they get confidence and they get noticed. Malik has done that very well over the past two months. He has taken the show team. He has made the periods more competitive. He's tried to make things happen, but fundamentally he's gotten better. You know, when the, when the Titans took him in the draft, in the third round, they knew him. But, Mark, nobody thought he would be there in the third round, and the Titans never thought they would really have a shot to draft him. They had vetted him. But they had not vetted him in a way that you, you normally do. Uh, 
You know, they they had mm-hmm. not taken that, you know, that deep dive that you go into with a with a player. So they're still learning about him. What they've been impressed with is his approach. He's a quarterback. He knows he's a quarterback. He knows he has to work. He understands what he's up against. And he is a phenomenal athlete. All right. If he's healthy, Ryan Tannehill, 2022 version, same Ryan Tannehill, different. He's not a young man anymore, but he's not really old either. He's just a little bit more elderly in NFL terms. Doesn't run as much as he once did, but he's not afraid to run. He has managed this team incredibly well. And I think that's what you don't appreciate about Tannehill unless you're around it every day. The calls that he makes at the line, the way he's very involved in the game planning, because he is 34 and he's seen a couple of things, right? Right. So, you, you, I mean, this is a guy who will make his 143rd start counting playoffs. I mean, he's seen some football. So you're, you're looking at a guy who can really be a difference maker between he and Ben Jones. There's so much cerebral that goes on at the line of scrimmage between those two that really help a very inexperienced offensive line and help get Derrick Henry running the right way. Uh, Tannehill hasn't thrown it a lot because the Titans lost Traylon Burks to injury. Uh, They've lost Kyle Phillips to injury, two guys that they were going to count on as part of their top four with the loss of Taylor Lewan and then what's happened with Nate Davis the last two games and the fact that they lost two starters from last year. They've had to mix and match and help the offensive line, so they have not been able to just drop back and, and hum it like, you know, a lot of teams like to do at certain points. They're having to play the game very differently. And so it's it's hard to know statistically, but I think he's done a very good job overall running the show, which is what he does really, really well. Mike Keith, voice of the Tennessee Titans with us. And Mike, we're over five minutes into this thing, and I've resisted the temptation to automatically go to Derrick Henry. But here we are. <laughs> And here he is. And I know last year the Texans didn't see them, but they're certainly going to see him Sunday afternoon at NRG Stadium. So I don't know what else there is to say about him, except he's the best running back in the league when he's out there healthy. It's awfully good. He's awfully good with his hands on the football, and they have found ways to get him the ball. In the last four games, Mark, he's had 113 total touches. And so he's getting his carries, but they're also finding the way to throw him the ball. They're snapping it directly to him. You know, it's like the basketball analogy. When somebody's your best player, get them the ball and let them shoot. He's the best player. He's the guy that uh, even when he's not getting all the holes up front, he can still make something happen. Teams are keying on him. They know he's coming. It's no secret. We're not giving away the game plan. Everybody knows who he is, and they know what he's all about. He's running very well right now, too. You you see him at times get into a groove. He was not in that groove in game one. He was rusty. And now he's gotten into that groove where he's been very close to popping a long run. So he's played well. But I think the the thing that you like so much about him is he is such a non-diva from the standpoint that even when he understands the other team knows he's coming, 
um, he's still going to run it up in there and get his two or three yards the best he can. A lot of the big star guys don't like to do that. You know, they want the home run runs, and he does too, but he's willing to do the work. Uh, on Sunday's broadcast, late in the game, we were having a discussion off air about it was an AFC Central Eddie George-type performance that he was giving. It was 27 carries for 89 yards, whatever. And I actually referred to him on the air as Eddie George accidentally. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's how old I'm getting. But the, but the point was it, was, it was that type of performance. That, yeah. A game that the stats don't necessarily say, hey, this is fantastic. But what it does say is there's no way you win this game without him. And that's what he's been giving this team right now. Yeah, a long run of 24 so far. So that's interesting with 134 carries. So we'll see him Sunday afternoon. Mike, what about the new stadium for the Titans? I happen to like the setting right across the river from downtown Nashville in the current situation. I know you've needed a new building. So tell us what's coming. Well, what was interesting, Mark, is we started this process with the idea because we're like you. We love where we are. Uh, love downtown Nashville. Easy to get to right off the interstate. People can walk across the pedestrian bridge and, and, you know, have a good time in downtown Nashville and then come over and enjoy the game. It's really a, it's really a cool setting. So the Titans were totally set on renovating Nissan stadium. Well, when they got into the process, the renovation was going to cost at least double what they had immediately figured because building materials and requirements in terms of codes and whatever have changed so much that suddenly the price ballooned well over a billion dollars. It's like, well, you know, if we're going to do that, why don't we just build a new one? Because everybody had been on board with the renovation and the, the Titans never came to the table with the idea, we need a new stadium. So they investigated the process of, can we put a new stadium in what are the front three parking lots of the current building? And those are, the lots closest to the interstate. And so the new stadium, the proposed stadium, will be built in lots A, B, and C, closer to the interstate. Uh, eventually, we'll be able to play in Nissan Stadium as long as it's needed. Eventually, when we move to the new place, Nissan Stadium would be demolished, and uh, that property would be used for you know, residential, commercial, a park, all kinds of fun things that are being talked about. But this building, which is going to have a roof, um, is going to give us the ability as a city to host more and bigger events. And, you know, Houston's been a big place for a long, long time. Nashville has exploded, is continuing to explode. And I, I think everybody's pretty excited about what this building is going to give this community an opportunity to do, um, not the least of which is give the Titans a home that I think will be a lot like Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. The, mm. same, the same architecture firm, they've done the plans on the proposed new stadium that did Allegiant. Well, we were just there, and it was magnificent. No question about that. And they had Carl Weathers, a.k.a. Apollo Creed, lighting the big Al Davis torch. So if you can get Carl Weathers to Nashville, that would be big. I'd love to get him here as well, Mike. Anyway, <laughs> Mike Keith with us, Voice of the Titans. I know you're uh, an occasional uh, thespian yourself, so I thought I'd just bring that. I like up. how you did that. Not yeah. in a boxing movie, though. I'm not getting near a boxing ring. 
Do you like the Creed movies? I do like the Creed movies. I like Michael B. Jordan, and I like the idea of all of it. And uh, I think the the new one looks very exciting. Yeah, I think they've done an amazing job keeping that thing going. All right, AFC South. A couple of things, a couple of stories this week I want to get your reaction to. The Matt Ryan situation as they've declared Sam Ellinger the starter for the rest of the way. And it's not just that he's starting, Mike. I was surprised they declared him the starter for the rest of the season. Your thoughts on that changeover at quarterback for the Colts? Because the Titans had a big hand in what went down afterwards. We've actually been fortunate enough to beat the Colts five straight times in six of the last seven. And their owner, Jim Irsay, has made a very big deal about that privately. And it, it got very public. And he wasn't, much like the Daniel Snyder thing, he was not scared to talk about how public uh, or how he was so upset about losing to the Titans. Uh, before the first game up there on October 2nd, he went to social media a lot about the game. It was very surprising. I'd never seen an owner do it before. Um, and then the Titans go up there and win the game. And obviously he's not amused by that. Uh, when they lost on Sunday, they went back and, and had a long discussion. He and the GM, Chris Ballard, the head coach, Frank Reich, and, and the owner, and came out of that with the idea that Elliger would be the guy the rest of the way. Um, Elliger, two weeks ago, took over as – the full-time backup from Nick Foles. And so here we go. And I, I think the thing about Elliger, what he is going to give them is mobility. And mm -hmm. with, with the offense they're trying to run, you saw him in week one. I, I thought all along when they went for Matt Ryan, I did not think it would work because he has no mobility left zero. And that when I saw him in Atlanta, I mean, he can still throw the ball. He's still smart. I think he's a great guy to come off the bench, but I, I think they just want that mobility because with their run game, I think his mobility can add a lot to what they do. Now, can he make good enough decisions in the passing game? I don't know. And I mean, he does not have Matt Ryan's arm or his experience. So we'll see, but no, we, we were not surprised based on our experience with their owner. <laughs> I, I was not surprised they made a quarterback change. What about the Jags and the trade of James Robinson to the New York Jets? I was surprised they didn't get more, but it is what it is. Your thoughts on that, just getting <laughs> him out of there to begin with? Well, uh, he's on my all DeAndre Hopkins team. Uh, if DeAndre Hopkins played every game against the Tennessee Titans, uh, he would have like four to 5,000 catches. <laughs> so James Robinson was always that way against us as well. He's played great against the Titans. So good. We don't play the Jets this year. Get him out. But I, I think ETN has shown that he can carry the load and that they have other backs and they have other things that they want to do. Um, taking the personal bias out of it, because I, I think Robinson is a really good player. Um, I, I understand why they did it, and they're trying to pile up some more late-round picks. It sounds like uh, that can easily become an extra five. If you're the Jets, uh, you've got to do something with Brees Hall having the knee injury. So it made total sense to me, Mark. Mike, one more for you. Here are the Texans and the Titans again, and it's been very hard for the Texans to beat the Titans lately. They did get the one up there last year in Nashville, but all these games seem to be close your mm -hmm. thoughts on the matchup this weekend? I know the Texans don't have a good record right now, but 
for some reason, division game, whatever, these seem to go down to the wire. Well, and the Texans have better overall stats than the Titans do. I mean, if you if you look at it straight up, uh, maybe the defensive numbers aren't aren't quite as good, but the Titans' defensive numbers aren't wildly good either. Um, what Davis Mills has been able to do in the passing game, uh, the the running backs are very comparable in terms of what they've had. You look at turnover ratio. The Texans are better on penalties. They've been great in the kicking game. The Titans know what they're in for. And it's it's also where the Titans are right now, understanding that this is not a dominant team. They're already ahead of pace this year in terms of number of players played to break their NFL record from 2021 when Tennessee had to play 91 guys. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought we thought we'd start this season with Taylor Lewan and Harold Landry and Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips and on and on and on. And, you know, those guys aren't here. And so that changes the overall makeup of your team. And the the Titans know they're going to be in for a fight every single week. And they certainly know that they're going to be in for a fight from the Texans this Sunday at 3.05. There you have it, men behind the mics, Mike Keith and Mark Vandermeer. I think both expecting a... Close game no matter what. The last four have been incredible. Three points. A total of three points separate these two teams in the last four games. And all season it's been that way for these two teams. So expect the same on Sunday. Hopefully the good guys, the Texans, will come out on top. Mark sticks with me in the next segment as we talk about this matchup and everything going on around the NFL. That's next right here in Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. The voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer, stays with me. John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. Mark, good evening. It was good to catch up with Nick. I I love talking with Nick about the other team, getting the scouting report through oh, yeah. Nick's eyes. Because, I mean, that's what he's been for a lot of his career. He's been in scouting, whether it's college scouting, pro scouting. I mean, he, knowing them inside and out, and yet, even at that point, these guys are so different from what we saw in week 17 last year. They are different, but it's like a lot of NFL teams, Johnny. If you have the stars, right? If you have the stars out there, and we didn't see Henry in week 17 right. last year. He played in the playoffs. We all know how that went for them. But if you have Tannehill out there and a few other key guys, it seems like the same team. But you and I look within, and a lot of people listening look within. You see, like, oh, this team's really different, you know? Yeah. And I, I was examining the Derrick Henry, and we talked about it with Nick, the Derrick Henry chronology here of him coming into the league and first year, he's behind Murray. They do that exotic smash mouth. Oh. Anybody remember that term? And then 17, a little bit more. And then 18, he turns into Derrick Henry. And we saw the wild Henry, and he started to become who we know him as now, which is the best running back in the NFL, the MVP of this division, a league MVP candidate when he's going full. I know this year the numbers aren't exactly up to Henry's standards, but they're still pretty good, and the year is young as far as that kind of thing is concerned. And he's facing his favorite opposing defense. Yeah. it's. you want me to give you the facts here? Do you, oh, are you no. ready for the facts? Go ahead. Give, give me facts. Uh, the facts are this. Three games against the Texans of 200-plus and two touchdowns-plus. That is the top number against any opponent for anybody in the last 72 years. <laughs> they don't measure prior to 1950 for whatever reason, but do we really need to go back prior to 1950, Johnny, before television was in people's homes? I mean, really? So let's just call it dominance. And he's got five such games in that 
in his career, which is way more than anybody else in that amount of time in the 72 years that I just mentioned. So in other words, Henry has good games against the Houston Texans. And the last time the Texans played a good game against him was that 2018 matchup up there, right? 2019, 2019 rather yeah. matchup up there through C. He yeah. had you hold 86, 80, right, 86 so in that game. If you hold him below 90, you feel like, Oh my gosh, break out the party hats. We held Henry below 90 which is saying something considering what he means to this offense, but you still have to stop Tannehill or whoever's throwing the football for them. And we'll see how it goes. I think this is fascinating because it went from, it went from famine to feast. Here it starts in 2016 against the Texans. First game ever three carries, nine yards last game of the year. Uh, in that game, the, the Brock Savage concussion game, mm-hmm. 15 for 65. Next game, six carries for seven. Then he had 109 yards against us at 17, because remember, he had that 75-yard run. Yeah. But he really didn't do much. Take that out there, and you're talking about 10 carries for 34 yards. Then we get to 18. He has that wild Henry game, 56 yards rushing. That's all he had that game. Yeah. Then, in the Monday night game here, eight for 30. Yep. 2019, he then goes for 86. 21 carries. 21 carries, 86 yards, and then it starts. 32 for 211 and three touchdowns the last game of 19. 2020. But that was uh, the game which the Texans JV squad was playing, yes. But then the varsity squad showed up in 2020, I think. 22 carries for 212 yards, two receptions for 52 yards. That hurt a lot. The receptions were a killer. Then it was last week of the season – 34 carries, 250 yards, two touchdowns. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. That was a rough year. That was 2020, of course. And the one up there, the game up there in 2020 was an overtime shootout. And I'll never forget the Titans needing that last drive of regulation and Henry off the field because this was a hurry up kind of situation. Right. So. Tannehill leads them downfield. They tie the game, go into overtime. Henry dominates. They score a touchdown, opening drive, and that's all she wrote. I think what what does bother me about in each of those games, I remember in the 2018 game where we're playing them last week of the year. Was that right? 2019 game. He breaks a 50-yard run. In the game in 2020 up there, he broke a 94-yard run. 2017, he had a 75-yard run uh, that clinched it. It was 17-14, and then he clinched it with that. Um, ended up making, I think, 23-14, whatever the case might be. But he clinches, I mean, all these games, he's got these long runs. But he's also got games against us where it's just 8, 10, yeah. 5, 12, 17, 5, 4, 20, where he doesn't have that... 80 yards, 75 yard run, but yet he's just picking up chunks of yards and then he's 6'4, so he, he falls forward and that's another two yards. And so when we have had success against him, as simple as it sounds, it has been the tackling is at a premium. Yep. I remember now Henry's teammates, Zach Cunningham. I remember Cunningham having good games against him because Cunningham would form tackle him and boom, just yep. shut him down on the spot. Right. Don't but, let him get going. Right. Don't let him get that downhill and then hit him. Boom. Stunt, just stuffed him. But that's not what our recent defenses have done. They're just trying to hit and hang on. And at that point, he's brushing them off or he's 
he's running past everybody, stiff arming people, and then of course you're trying to chase a guy that still runs four five. I wanted to watch Henry, and I I went to watch Henry. I wanted to see okay, he's lost something in the tank, right? He's lost he's lost something, right? 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 Wrong. No. Wrong. I kept thinking he's no. The second play of the game, they put him out wide, then they they shifted him back. They ran duo, and duos just essentially running backs. They they've got a few few double teams up front if they can get them, but it's opportunity for a running back to kind of examine things and then find your hole, ride the wave and get out wide, bounce it and get into a hole. And he there's there's a hole there, and he shoots through that hole, and I'm like, forget it. Good night. Cole linebacker takes the wrong. He jumps in the wrong gap, and he's through there. And he got tripped up. Somebody got a finger on a shoelace. And he, I thought he was going to take it to the house. And somebody got a foot uh, got a foot on him. And away you go. This guy's had, now he didn't, like we said, he didn't play in 2021. But he's had 1,535 rushing attempts in 92 games. In 92 games, 1,535. Now, the majority of those have come in the last four years because his first couple of years, he didn't get the ball as much. 2018, they started to give it to him a little bit more. He was the full-time starter now. And then in 2019, 303 rushes. 2020, 378. 2021, he was on pace for over 400 touches. 400 carries. That's a lot. Yeah. You don't want to keep doing that. And he's on pace again this year. For just under 400 carries. But he's all they got, Johnny. They're completed at receiver. Tannehill's not exactly lighting the world on fire here. But Henry's long run of the year is 24 yards. There hasn't been that 70, 80-yard run Mm -hmm. this year. He had a 99-yard run in 2018, not against the Texans. But I remember that because when Lamar Miller had his 97, I thought, well, (laughs) no one's going to beat that in the division. But Henry did with a 99-yard run, I think the next week or something. Here's what he's playing with up front. His right tackle is a rookie, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer. His right guard is a second-year guy who was a tackle at NDSU, North Dakota State. Ben Jones is at center and still doing Ben Jones things, but Ben is banged up pretty yep. badly. Left guard is 6'1", 275-pound Aaron Brewer. And his left tackle used to be Taylor Luan, all-pro, pro bowler, is now Dennis Daly, who has been a journeyman and has bounced around. That's what he ran behind against the Colts for 128 yards. It's also why he ended up doing it on 30 carries, but he still got to over 120 and allows the, the Titans to control the clock, let Tannehill not have to throw the ball a ton. Bobby Trees, a.k.a. Robert Woods, is not doing a ton, but that seems to be Tannehill's go, go-to guy. But every now and again, you'll see Cody Hollister make a catch. Like, wait, who? Who's Cody Hollister? Like, oh. I mean, I know who he is, but I know fans are like, Cody Hollister? Yeah, he made a big third-down catch on a drive that got them in, in field goal position uh, in the first half against the Colts. Like, what would they be without Henry right now? Right now, without Henry, nothing. They'd lose to Georgia. Yeah. they would <laughs> Seriously, because yeah. based on the O-line, yeah. based on everything you just said, Robert Woods is their leading receiver. He has 20 catches. That's their leading receiver, right? Yeah. Do I have yeah. that right? That's correct. Yes. That's 20 correct. catches leads the Tennessee Titans in receptions. That is highly unusual. 
Shall we compare that to the Texans situation? It's not like, you know, uh, people are lighting the world on fire here, right. but Cooks has 28. You've got Burkhead with 23 catches. Right. You have Nico with 18 catches after last week. Pierce has 17 catches. Their leading receiver has 20. And the next guy has 13. That would be Derrick Henry. That's how little they're throwing the football right Here's now. Here's the thing, too, with, with the Titans. Even if Henry were banged up like last year, I still think Dontrell Hilliard and Hassan Haskins, they wouldn't, they're not as scary as Henry. But we saw Dontrell Hilliard and Deontay Foreman last year. Yeah. And those two were a massive problem. Yeah. Yeah. Massive but problem. But I think Foreman's pretty good. You see, no, I, I do think Foreman's good. He had a good game the other day for the Panthers, too. Right, exactly. For Carolina right now, he's doing some things. No McCaffrey. He's the guy. You know that he can carry it for a while. The Tennessee Titans people told me last year. When Henry was out and Foreman was playing well, this is when we were up there and the Texans had the upset victory. They said, look, Foreman's good. There's no question. But certain runs, if Foreman runs for 12, Henry would have had 20. Foreman runs for 15, Henry might have scored it. That kind of thing. Nothing against Foreman, but Henry is that elite at the running back position. But, yeah, they were finding ways to get it done. But to your point, the O-line is different. So I think it's a very different situation. I don't know how you do it. From Romeo Cornell, Bill O'Brien, David Culley, uh, Lovey Smith, they all say the same thing. Nick just said it in our visit. You've got to get him before he gets going downhill. Yes. Once he gets ahead of steam, forget it's it. It's not like other guys. He's not light where you can sort of derail him. He's going to go down. He's a freight train when he gets running, and it's very difficult to bring him down. He can brush you off like a mosquito. I think what's been interesting this year, you think about what the Texans, and I know the Texans' run defense has not been good. I'm, I'm definitely not making excuses for that. That group has been awful. But Jonathan Taylor, Javante Williams, week three, Khalil Herbert steps in for David Montgomery and, and lights you up. Yeah. Week four, Austin Ackler didn't run for a lot, but it was in the receiving game where he ended up getting you. And then the next week he went for 186 or whatever it was, Eckler did. Uh, then you had James Robinson, Travis Etienne. we got to get to that in a second. Um, and Etienne had a few plays, but the second half you sort of slowed everybody down. And then you faced Jacobs, then you faced Derrick Henry. Then you face Miles Sanders. Uh, then after Miles Sanders, you face Saquon Barkley. I mean, it doesn't. And then Brian Robinson's coming yeah. from the Commanders the week after oh, that. Yeah. I mean, you don't get a break against any running back at all. I mean, you're facing. You're. I mean, I haven't even looked at the stats to see what level of um, what level you're you're facing. But it seems like, and it feels like. All right, here are the player stats thus far. Here are the top ten. So the text, here's number one. Nick, number one is Chick, Nick Chubb. We'll play him. Right. Saquon Barkley is two. We'll play him. Three is Josh Jacobs. We played him. Four is Derrick Henry. We'll see him twice. Uh, let's see. Miles Sanders is eight. We face him. Khalil Herbert is ninth in the league. Mm. We'll face, uh, we'll fa- we faced him. Yeah. Um, Gosh, he's ninth in rushing. Ezekiel Elliott is 13th in the league in rushing. We face him. So that's one, two, three, four. Uh, and Damien's six, so he he's in that group too. Five, six, seven, seven in the top thirteen. Over half of them we will we will face. And he and Travis Etienne is is tied for fifteenth. Yeah, I mean you're facing this year, last year it was a, it, or a couple of years ago it was the quarterbacks. You're facing every good quarterback. I was going to bring that up. Jackson, you're facing all the Aaron great Rogers. quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers all in that one year. Now it feels like you're facing all the great running backs. Yep. all in one year and. It's not coinciding. Like, had that happened in 2018, I would have been like, fine. Yeah. That's like when people say, hey, you're facing Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. I really, 
I don't have a huge problem with that because I'm like, well, Laramie and Titus will be just fine. Yeah, Mills hasn't been sacked much. No, he hasn't been sacked. He's gotten some pressure, but Max Crosby and Chandler Jones didn't affect the game the other day all right. that much. Randy Gregory had one play in the fourth quarter, and that was pretty much that was pretty much it. It was a big play, but it was the one play that he had in that game. Chubb, Bradley Chubb did really nothing. So when they have a good matchup that way, like all these running backs facing our 2018 defense, I would have felt, man, we'll be all right. We'll be okay. But facing this defense, man, I'm watching it against the Raiders, and I was texting you throughout, and I just – it's – at one point, it'll be breakdowns in technique, jumping in a gap when they shouldn't. Then when they play everything perfectly, then a guy almost tackle. And it's – the thing I, I know a lot of people – I heard John McClain say this this morning. He's like, you know, that front seven, the front seven. And look, it's a collective effort. It is a collective effort. It's got to be from corners, safeties, linebackers, and D-line. It's everybody. Everybody has got a piece in this run defense not playing exceptionally well. The tackling hasn't been great in the secondary. The response to crack blocks has not been great in the secondary. The linebackers are at sometimes chasing ghosts um, or making false reads and then making a false read. Then they're getting, they're getting blocked. So, anyhow, the, the run defense, I think – even though there might not be a DJ reader and there's not a, a Vince Wilfork. I mean, in 16, we had both those guys. I mean, how did you block them? Oh, my god! Linebackers just ran the ball all day because you had three and four guys that had to block 16, those you two. had Clowney and Merciless yeah. setting the edge. Clowney right. is a great run defender. I know he's never racked up the sacks, but he can defend right. against the run. Yes, and he was so good against the run. So good. And our defensive ends have got to play the run better. And not only – and when I say they've got to play the run better – it's not even so much setting the edge, but the Raiders did some. The Raiders did some stuff against them that was just kind of day one stuff. They did they did pin and pull toss, and wide receivers were cracking on defensive ends. And instead of turning and seeing that it was tossed, because Chandler, this is what happened one time with Chandler Jones. We tried that same thing going towards towards y'all. Y'all were on the opposite side of me, right? So going towards the Raiders sideline. And they tried to do that. It was either Nico. I think it was Nico. And Chandler Jones is like, oh, you're on a pin and pull toss? Okay, fine. And he just ran right through Nico and took him back down the line of scrimmage. Instead of taking him up the field where there could maybe be a seam and the running back could go or could go around, that's what we were doing. Our guys wouldn't take those receivers on. They were just kept going up the field. Well, Jacobs was fast enough to get around him. And now all of a sudden, he's pinned inside. And everybody's kind of running into that trash, and they're not able to make tackles. I guarantee you they ran toss maybe, I think, nine, ten times. The Raiders did, yes. yeah. And every single run when they ran toss, just pin and pull toss was was effective. And the other one was a drop play. Yeah. Simple drop play. Wide open up the middle. Right. Because our DNs get pass. They get a pass technique from the – they get a pass rush um, – from the tackles so they're rushing past so they're going up the field and then all of a sudden the linebackers got to sit there and read like do you drop because it looks like a pass well all of a sudden the defensive ends all the way up the field and now the interior offensive line shooting out they got no chance and you got a back like jacobs well scored. they see all this right. so good thing that lovey smith has time to make some of these corrections correct and they're gonna have to be a whole lot better and i think they will be at home johnny but a whole lot better against derrick henry could mean Hey, you held them below 130. Right. You know, you might have to give that up. It could be one of those games like a basketball game where, hey, their star player had 30, 35 points, but we won the game anyway because we did this, this, and this. I don't know if it's going to play out that way, but I think it could. If you win, 
at the end of the day, I don't think it's because you held Henry to 80 yards or 75 yards. And if that's the case, then it means the Texans offense is cooking right. and the Titans are in a catch-up game, which right. sign me up for that. Oh, I'll take because that then you could times. come after Tannehill. They might have to take Henry out of the game and we'll see what Tannehill's health situation is. Is it Malik Ooh, Willis? That's that, a big deal. That's uh, Let's get to that wrinkle. Yeah. What if it's not Tannehill? Now, Tannehill did meet the media and he was talking about it. And uh, Malik Willis was actually interviewed uh, as well. That's a whole different wrinkle. It is a big difference, and we'll see how they handle it. Now, here's, here's where you – this is I don't want to say it's an advantage, but here's where some work this week against Malik Willis will get you ready for the next week against Jalen Hurts because how you're going to play the zone read stuff that they'd probably want to do. Look, Tannehill yeah. does it too. Tannehill had a run against the Colts where Yannick Ngakwe slides down the line and thinks it's a handoff and a little sleight of hand, and Tannehill pulls it out of there, and Ngakwe's chasing Henry, and Tannehill turns up the field for a first down. All right, wait. Now we have to say it, though. You're contractually obligated by the National Football League to say the following about Tannehill. All he does is win. No, he used to be a receiver. He used to be a receiver. That's okay, right. Okay, that's yes. every announcer that's right. has to He used to, to be a receiver, that. so he's got the speed, and yes. we've, we've seen that. But All right, now we can sign this and pass it along to yes. human resources. Yes, we're good. We okay. satisfied that. I'm glad you. I'm glad you said that. Yes, former t- former wide receiver Aggie Ryan Tannehill. Throw the Aggie part in there. Too. I meant legal, not human resources. Yeah, yeah. By the way, thank you. Um, but they run some zone read with him, but they're going to run it a lot with Malik Willis if Willis is in the game. I wouldn't be surprised at all, no matter how Tannehill's feeling, if we see Willis for that reason. And that's going to help us get ready for the Eagles because we're going to see a ton of it from the Eagles. I'd like to get ready for the Eagles with a win, though. Yes, I would, too. And I want to force Willis to throw it, and I might end up regretting saying that, but I would like to see it happen because I think it could be good for the Texans. Wait till you watch him in warm-ups. Oh, he's just got a cannon. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those where you're like, whoa, holy cow. He throws it so flipping hard. And the thing I liked about him was the fact that he did have, he did show a little bit of touch, especially at the senior bowl. But man, he could spray it too. I mean, he was nuclear, especially as a junior. As a senior at Liberty, he was a little bit better. He kind of reigned in a little bit. But Mm -hmm. when he got to the senior bowl, he was. He was starting to leave that nuclear loose stuff behind. He was much more accurate. Uh, his acumen was better thrown, and not everything was 100 miles an hour. I would bet we're going to see Malik Willis. I would bet we're going to see something from him. Even maybe he's on the field with Tannehill. I don't know. I There are a lot of different scenarios I could see Malik Willis getting in this ballgame and doing something um, with Henry and, uh, you know, in a uh, in his own read situation, doing some different things. I I wouldn't be surprised if they broke some of that out to give Tannehill a break. And we don't even know if Tannehill is going to be able to play given uh, his injury situation. My thought is that he met with the media. He's probably going to be he'll, he'll probably be available. Be good enough to play. And at that point, he doesn't have to do a ton. But one zone read catches our defensive ends diving inside. And that's all that he needs to do. Just one of those to keep everybody honest. And all of a sudden, defensive end has to sit there and play it. And then Henry goes and away. He goes. Mark, appreciate you being here. Coming up next, we'll get in the injury report and anything else we missed next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to one final segment on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time for the Schlumberger Stats Challenge, and this one's very simple. It is 60 
as in 60% third down conversion percentage on Sunday against the Raiders. 9 of 15. That is by far the best the Texans have done on third down. Game-winning touchdown drive. They had three key third down conversions against Jacksonville. Second half of that game, they were 5 of 8. Over 60% in that game. They were 60% for the full game against the Raiders. Now the Texans are starting to get third downs. It starts to change the picture of what they can do offensively. They just now have to continue at that rate. They can't be at 25, 26, 27%, which they were for the season prior to that game. They are now moving up 60% third down conversion for the offense. That is a very good number. And that number is brought to you by Schlumberger to take the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. Go to HoustonTexans.com. All right, let's hit this injury report from Wednesday's practice. Four DMPs, four pretty big names for the Texans. Malik Collins with a chest, Nico Collins with a groin, and then two rest uh, days for veterans, Brandy Cooks, Jerry Hughes. Limited participants, Kenya Green with a shoulder who went out with that injury, came back in the game against the Raiders, and also Justin McCray dealing with a hand. For the Titans, this is pretty extensive. DMPs, fullback Torrey Carter, neck. Jeffrey Simmons, ankle. Ryan Tannehill, ankle. Rashad Weaver, back. Weaver is one of those guys that Nick Casario pointed out, now playing on the edge, came out of pit. A lot of pass rush ability for Rashad Weaver, but those also four pretty big names for the Titans. Torrey Carter doesn't play a ton, but when they want to go 21-22 personnel, they put that fullback in front of number 22, and it is on. He will blast you. So uh, those are big. Limited participants, starting guard Aaron Brewer, Dylan Cole with a hamstring, Morgan Cox, the long staff with the ankle, Nate Davis, the foot, he's had problems with that. Uh, Starting guard Bud Dupree, hamstring, Ben Jones has been dealing with a number of things, but this is a knee. David Long with a groin, and he has played fantastic for the Titans of linebacker. And a full participant, Joe Jones, but also Zach Cunningham. Zach's missed the last few games with an elbow. He was a full participant back in practice, I expect to see. Number 41 out on the field, uh, looking for a little bit of uh, retribution, revenge, however you want to look at it after leaving the Texans and do what he can for the Tennessee Titans. Last week they had to go with Joe Schobert off the practice squad in lieu of Joe uh, in lieu of um, Zach Cunningham. They could have Zach Cunningham and David Long. That's a pretty formidable linebacker duo. All right, that's going to do it for the show. Big thanks to Mark, to Nick Casario, Jordan Aikens, DP Sitter, Drew Doherty, Mike Keith, and all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.